When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, thanks. Thanks for what you do. It's always great to, you know, you're doing something fantastic. I mean, uh, understanding our reaction to this man film is a Rosetta Stone for how we respond to uh, masculine entertainments of this type. That was, I mean, you could not have gotten a better ending. The only ending better would be the last 12 minutes of Last of the Mohicans. You could have called me there and then, and I could have spoken for roughly an hour, two hours, <laughs> on the top of my head. Basically, it was an almost scientific method that he had for creating these Michael Mann moments where it feels like time has been suspended. So now you're doing Mohicans, please. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an extremely special bonus episode of the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Thank you so much for all your support on One Minute Productions. Finding a way to jump back into the films that we've extensively covered is always great. And uh, literally seconds before I hit record, my guests and I were discussing the confluence of awesome people who just suddenly started writing about, talking about, and discussing how fucking awesome this movie is, and almost universally that the last 12 minutes of this movie, this crazy, percussive, melodramatic film clip of a scene is maybe one of the greatest scenes in any piece of American cinema, but also because of the conflicted, ambivalent feelings you have for not only the protagonist, but particularly the lovable and completely fucking right antagonist of this movie. Roxanne Haddadi, thank you for being a part of another One Heat Minute production now on the last 12 minutes of The Mohicans. Yeah, man. I mean, I, you just said this and I agree. Why did we like keep making cinema after that? <laughs> Guys, it's done. That's it's it. Done. Like just wrap it up. Like, wrap it we're up. Good. Wrap we don't need up. to do this again. Nothing's going to be like as romantic or as sensual or as tragic. Like we tapped out. Like yeah. this was it. You want the tragedy? We've got it. You want the, you want the like guns and violence? We've got it. We've got Really the most, you know, Michael Mann is one of his sort of key keynotes is that in amongst hyper-realism, like really hyper-specific hyper-realism is cinematic understanding of romance. We know that Madeline Stowe and Daniel Day-Lewis as Hawkeye and Cora's teeth and hair would never be as good really Mm -mm. in 1757 Mm -mm. as they are in this movie but we're Mm -mm. fine with the lie like keep lying everyone looks amazing it's so tragic it's so romantic the fear i mean again like casting like russell means and all of the stuff that that means uh uh, you Mm -hmm. know um just i can't get enough of this movie and it's this, you know for anyone who's ever like exercised and you are you have a hill coming up or just anything, and you need to get through something, when you hear the, that this track uh, from Mohicans play, this finale track that plays at the end of this film, um, I, I would like to tell you that you probably get like 20 to 30% more energy and inspiration than you, than you would naturally. It's, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just a magnificent movie and, and, and the, the ending is everything. And, and so few yeah. movies have the ability to start on like, like literally do almost like the COVID graph. Like it starts out small and then like, like oh, the no. impossible high. That's what this movie is. I mean, it gets you pretty yoked. Yes. Like it does 100%. really get you pretty yoked. And I made the mistake. So we were talking about how it seemed like everybody was watching it at the same time. And I made the mistake of thinking that I could like, quote unquote, 
put it on in the background nah. like I wasn't gonna watch <laughs> it like I like I put it on to like do something else and then 20 minutes later my partner came down and he was like why are you even like pretending to be doing anything except for you were standing you were standing with a vacuum and you didn't move from the same spot in the house yeah it was so dumb of me to even <laughs> pretend but yeah as soon as you see everybody's like very well moisturized hair you're like oh yeah like i can't i i have to just watch this like straight <laughs> can't do anything else nah. have to watch it straight i mean i think it's very interesting that you know it's always a discussion i think on film twitter an incorrect discussion about this idea that like Scorsese and Michael Mann and all of these very quote unquote like masculine filmmakers underwrite their female characters or don't understand romantic love. And I just feel like, especially with Mann, that's so wrong. It's the wrong, it's it is it so is the, wrong in Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> it's the which, wrong. It's the wrongest take. Some of the films you can, yeah. you can go, look, I, I buy that the female characters sometimes don't get the screen time to bloom, mm -hmm. but it's like mm -hmm. when you go from Thief and Mohicans, you got Tuesday mm -hmm. World and Madeline. So it's like, what are you even talking about? Like, yeah. this is a capital R romantic film. Like mm -hmm. he's, a, he, he, he's waxing lyrical at these women and what they mean to these, these men's lives. And particularly this movie, you know, it's a swashbuckling swords and sandals sort of like that in that same ilk. Um, and yeah. it's just got all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's what all of those civil war, all the civil war movies tried to do, but now have aged out of their politics so bad that it almost makes them unwatchable. Whereas mm -hmm. you have something like this, which is that kind of pre war interdependence. And that seems to be like a more diverse continent and more, uh, 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 there seems to be like more, um, I don't know, like more like kind of 20th century independent interdependences on different bodies of like politics, you know, like you've got these different colonial powers that are vying for stuff. You've got this new, uh, this new, uh, you know, this new active colony that's trying to burgeon its way into being a nation. You've got the existing nations of, you know, first nations people there that are all in dialogue. And then this war's mm -hmm. starting to happen. And it's like the formation of what eventually becomes the country, all of the groundwork and the foundations are starting to be laid. And in the middle is this kind of like beautiful family story and unrequited love kind of people who are one who gets orphaned in the most unceremonious way. And another person who gets, who is an orphan. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's really special. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very grand, you know, yes. like all the emotions are so big and absolutely. Yes. You can make the point that we are following two white characters in a time, as you said, where there is still a, it is still the country of the indigenous people who were here first. And it's yes. very much a tale of like colonialism and the idea of might is right. And so you have all of that stuff going on. And so I can very much understand if you wanted to, the idea of, well, I don't really care about these two white people who are falling in love. Like you could very well make that argument. But I also think that man, like you said, is telling a story that is, I think at least primarily about loneliness and about yes. the idea of like the world around you changing and how you perhaps as an individual don't fit within what that world is anymore and you have to adapt. And what, <laughs> what way do you transform more as a person than by falling in love with somebody else. Like, I yeah. think that is like the most transformative thing that can happen to a person. Um, and so I think that that sort of losing yourself in these grand sweeps of emotion and losing yourself in a shifting country and even something as physical as like losing yourself in a battle scene. Like, I think there's a lot of uncertainty that Last of the Mohicans is playing with and then offers up this idea of like finding your person as the certainty that can guide you through that and I think man is doing that like all the time like all of, time. of his movies yeah have these like sort of grand 
yes, focused on the male perspective, mostly explorations of love and identity, but he's still exploring them, right? I mean, you do still have heat, which is very much about the idea of what can you walk away from and what can you not? I mean, you have it in Miami Vice, which is also very, very romantic. So, um, Beatrice and, Leoza and, has written about that, you know? Yes, yeah. And sexy. And sexy. Very is sexy. Yeah, very sexy. very sexy. I mean, Last Mohicans is very sexy. Like when they are in <laughs> the like candlelit room and she's like, what are you looking at? And he's like, bitch, I'm looking at you. Like that is very <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Like I, you know, that it's the kind of scene where I'm like, I don't even think the, I should the, be watching the this. The stones on that guy to say, I'm looking at you, miss. Ugh. Very oh, good. My God. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that, that's great. I, I remember now this is how long I've watched this movie since, you know, probably not age appropriate, but my dad, you know, my parents, yeah, just, I mean, all, all of us, I all think of us, were not us. age appropriate. And so, <laughs> you know, cause you see the battle scenes and stuff and like, obviously you never understand they have a nice cuddle and a kiss. Right. And I remember right. taking the right. VHS from my place to uh, like, it was like a friend of a friend of my mom's and I'm like, Oh, can we watch this movie together? And she goes, when, you know, her kids were a little bit younger than me. She's like, when those kids go to bed, we can watch it together. And then you can go to bed. She goes, because I don't want the girls to watch the violence. And I'm like, okay, no worries. And so I watched it when I was a little kid with her. And I remember her, like being really taken with the scene and then like howling laughing because she asked me what was in the movie to decide if her kids are going to watch it. And I was like, oh, there's some violence. She goes, is there any sex or anything like that? And I said, no, there's just a cuddle. And I remember after this scene, she like howled. She was like sitting next to me convulsing laughing. And I was like, what? And she's like, Love that's, it. she's like, that wasn't a cuddle. <laughs> it's, it's a cuddle. It's a cuddle of a kind. It's a kind of cuddle. You know, I mean, I hope you're cuddling after everyone, everyone cuddle your partner. I mean, cuddle, you know, cuddle, cuddle, yeah. cuddle. cuddle. Yeah. yeah, but 100%. Yes. I also think that I was like, maybe, I don't know, uh, 10, yeah. maybe 10 Yeah, something like on that. like UPN, like on a cable rerun or something. And then you're just like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's what love is, you know, and you wouldn't be wrong. No, you wouldn't be. <laughs> no, no. It's so good. What's funny about it though is that like it, it's take it takes a few years and I think it's funny because you know we are we're steeped in that film Twitter dialogue um pretty consistently and it's funny that you know I, I think a lot of people do this with big directors and you hear names like De Palma and you know obviously Coppola and Scorsese and Man and you hear them but it's just so funny how some film that like is in their filmography is out there. And then we're kind of not talking about it because it exists in the ether. And then people watch it and go, I mean, wait, how did this get missed? And it's like, it didn't like, and, it, right. it, and even today, what's funny, um, you know, the great, the great crime author, Don Winslow himself today tweeted about like Alan Pakula didn't get the credit that he deserved as a director. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That, you mm -hmm. know, like yeah there's directors out there that didn't get and it's just funny that there's these there's these figures that are out there and it's only when there's just like this lightning strikes or whether it's like they they jump onto your suggested items in your particular streaming service or whatever it's like you look at this movie and you go i mean a movie like this now if this movie existed even right now releasing cinemas right now like it would make money people would see it it would be critically acclaimed it would be mm -hmm. lauded it would be award worthy and I just, especially as we roll into the crescendo of this movie, un, you know, with the Gale, Dougie McLean's the Gale that Trevor Jones adapted and Randy Edelman, but like that, I just don't understand how like you could look at the end of this movie and not say, oh, that's a masterpiece of editing or directing or like in amongst this gigantic canvas that it has, it's fast paced, it's exciting, the performances are great. It's just, it's got everything. Yeah. Well, I think to your point about Pakula, like, I, I just thought this the other day with Jonathan Dem because I wrote about Silence oh, of the Lamb yeah, yeah. Times 30 this year. Great piece. And I love, I lo oh, thank you. I love his version of Manchurian Candidate. Like, yeah, I think it's excellent. It unparalleled in terms excellent. of understanding like America. But I feel like Dem is one of those directors that we don't talk about much anymore. Whereas like the work he produced in his lifetime was like critically claimed, like you said 
commercially successful, but I feel like he's no longer part of that conversation. And so in that way, like I do appreciate what streaming services offer, although there is like so much goddamn content. Yes. Like I do think <laughs> that you can, you know, like log on to Amazon and be like, okay, so Science of the Limbs here or log on to Hulu and like Last of the Mohicans is here. And so I think that a lot of those movies of the 90s, I think are getting reevaluated and reintroduced to new viewers because of their accessibility yes but like you said i mean like last the mohicans in particular just transcends man it's like a painting brought to life like it's so evocative and i know we keep saying tragic like we gotta find a better word but it's just it captures (laughs) so much like you know it captures so much of that feeling of like i don't even want to say despair but the idea that you can't change what is Mm. and if you can't change it maybe you don't want to live through it you know and there's something very heartbreaking about that that i think that final 12 minutes captures really well the 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 tectonic forces are something that you have no control over but it's like it's you know i think you know my kids have been watching the crudes over and over again so it's just like stuck in my head but it's like imagine actually standing there in those moments where the tectonic plates are shifting underneath your feet and it's like oh i have no i have no control over this i don't Mm -hmm. know what to do and i think you put you nailed it which is that the only time that these people seem to have a true north or have a direction and a way to navigate through these unfathomably huge forces whether they're socio-political forces whether they're you know these colonial forces whether it's just this you know this war that's bigger than them the country changing shape their role in the country shrinking and and or, or intentionally being stripped away um or being manipulated the the challenges are that like and, and it all comes to life in the last 12 minutes is like you are you are anchoring to this person that you love because they seem to be your guiding light. Like they seem to be Mm -hmm. a way to navigate through it because if you're, if you've got each other, you can, you can be each other's crutch to get through. And I think that that Uncas Alice scene is like, exactly as you said, like if I can't go through life with her, if I don't have some kind of direction, if I'm not taking charge and, and establishing my family and being the, you know, one of the last people of my tribe, um, then I'd rather risk it all and die than to have never have tried and to let her get taken away by this war party. And so it's just such a, it's, you know, it's loaded with despair, but I think it's what what you nailed it is that it's loaded with like relatable despair because in tumultuous Mm -hmm. times, you know, this is a little microcosm of that. You're just like, God, thank God, the people that I love, if you're lucky enough to be in love, you're lucky enough to have that relationship, no matter what it is. And those people that can guide you through these, like this really turbulent storm of a time, um, I think that that's where it just seems to soar because it's just like taking these notes that feel really true, but they're written with such beautiful strokes, you know, just painted mm-hmm. with that grandiose thing. Um, and just- well, and you know what? It's grandiose, but like it's so simple too, though. Like, yes. what is more simple than I will find you? Nothing. Nothing. You know, like there, you know, I am a sucker for huge romantic <laughs> moments. Like, you know, like I love, like I love, I grew up and still love Dr. Zhivago very much. Yes. I saw Titanic a ton of times, not embarrassed by that. I don't care. I love Titanic. You know, like I love those like very evocative, like you are giving so much of yourself over to this person. And like, Persian culture is very romantic in that way like there's a lot of like Persian poetry that is based on that Mm. and there's a special word in Persian um which is like not really obsessive love but sort of like delirious love like we talked about like the transformative kind of love yes and I just feel like I will find you like nails that right like that's what you want like you want to be found by somebody like you want to be discovered by somebody for who you are yes and like desired in that way and I think you know like all these other movies that are so romantic and beautiful like I can't think of a line of dialogue like that line of dialogue like that has stood the test of time yeah and even the lead-up line like stay alive Mm -hmm. no matter what occurs because no matter what occurs, like, yeah. because the, no matter what occurs gets me in the lead up. Cause then I'm like holding my breath. And then when he says, I will find you, it's like, it's all over. You just like, you're just a mm-hmm. puddle, but it's mm-hmm. the, the stay alive, no matter what occurs, because it's like, I don't care what happens or has happened. I will right. find you. 
And in, right. and in those times, the stakes of that are so grave and are so mm-hmm. traumatic, but it's like, mm-hmm. stay alive, no matter what occurs, I will find you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's. And the bravery Cora has to have in that moment, right? Yeah. To believe him, yeah. like to believe that he will do this and to make the vow to herself, like, okay, I will stay alive. Like yes. I will weather whatever comes and I will trust that he will come back. I mean, we mentioned before, like the idea of like the civil war movie yes. and like, obviously I am not attempting to say that like, whatever, I'm not trying to make a political statement. All I'm saying is like so many of the civil war movies were built on this idea of like, you are writing letters to the person you are in love with. Mm. And there's that sort of tension and the idea, I guess, of any war will they come back, right? Like, will they come home? And there is a special kind of strength that that requires Mm. to believe that the person you love will come home. Like that in and of itself is a sacrifice. So I think like he, you know, you obviously have DDL making this beautiful statement and you know, he believes it, but you also have to buy that she believes it. Yes. Like there has to be equality in that moment. And I think, like you said, that is what the final 12 minutes of the film also get right. That there is so much, like you said, the forces of everybody coming at each other are mostly pretty equal. Like, yeah. I think any of those final fights could have gone any way and I yeah. would have bought it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like there is a lot, I think, that you can argue from either perspective about who is right and who is wrong and what choices are right and what choices are wrong. And those big grand questions up on that mountainside, like (laughs) as far away from human civilization as you can get, as close as you could get to whatever you believe God is or nature is, or just the majesty of the universe. Like there's something very surreal and beautiful also about where they are and where these grand arguments are taking place. Yeah. It's, it's, I like to think of it like it's, it's got like a, I don't know, like a telescopic or a magnifying effect. It's like, it's like, it's mm-hmm. some, some, some places squash drama, but when you're on the mountainside and you on these sheer cliffs and they feel like tiny figures, but they start to grow. Like they start to take on the properties of the area that they're in. You're like, no, this is, magnificent because like i try to think about it every time i watch it of like how unbelievably great it was to watch steve waddington's major duncan hayward flip and say take me oh my god no i can't which 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 you can't believe that he does which the movie completely buries the lead on that and it's unbelievable now you've watched the movie like i have like a million times it's impossible to actually reconcile when that was and then mm-hmm. similarly to watch magua who's been so ruthless to actually get his moment now is where studios like he's getting his moment in front of the sasham to like have it out and to actually be right you know i think mm-hmm. to credit this show and to credit you know the recent special shirt the magua was right t-shirt Jordan Harper, who's the author of She Rides Shotgun, who's a huge friend of the show and a terrific author and a screenwriter. I think Jordan coined the phrase. I think we all adopted it in the show, but like Margot was right. Like that, that's, that's, that's where it was. And then also Daniel Day-Lewis not getting to face off against Margot and it mm-hmm. being Chigachikuk is mm-hmm. one of the most unbelievable choices to have ever made in a movie. Like I still can't believe that it actually exists, that he just... Let's Russell Means has just been like this totemic wizened kind of like force that's just like walking through the movie. And then he just gets to be a berserker for like, a he's like, he, yeah. <laughs> he's just yeah. like, he's like a fucking fighting Urukai from Lord of the Rings come to life. Like thro- yeah. flies through just like nailing all these guys to get like, he he's just an unstoppable force, immovable object, bang. And I just can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that that's, you know, after everything that happens to then still be surprised and then go, I love how you said, like, you can't on that mountain, if you really try and take yourself back to those original viewings, you can't, you have no idea what's going to happen next. You know, mm-hmm. Lucas is going for Alice right. and you, you're assumed the whole thing is like Daniel day Lewis as Hawkeye is going to fight. Where's Studi's Magua? Shit is going down. Like, here we go. 
And like mm-hmm. in heat parlance, it would be like Hannah going after Macaulay. And then like, instead of Hannah going after Macaulay, it's, it's, um, I don't know. Like, it's like, Ted right. Levin. You can't it's, even, <laughs> it's like, what, what Hannah goes after Kilmer. Like what, what are you even doing here? Like, it doesn't work. Like it doesn't work. No. It, and no. so I, I can't believe that it happens. And then when it does happen, yeah. it's like, it could not in my mind, it's like, it couldn't have happened any other way and hit with the same notes. Cause it's, it's doing things right all the way up to the last 12 minutes that you cannot expect. And like that, Steve Waddington was a guy I used to hate watching. And now every time I watch this movie, I'm like, why the fuck is Steve Waddington not in like 20,000 movies? Like he should have had a TV series, should have had this. It's like, it just makes no sense um, that so many of these terrific people just didn't go off and have obviously the same kind of careers that, you know, DDL had and, and, and Madeline Stowe to an extent in the late nineties, she had some bangers, but um, yeah, yeah, this is so crazy. Well, and again, like this idea of, I mean, I guess we can start talking about the final 12 minutes, but this idea of like, it's mostly happening without dialogue, man. Like Mm -hmm. they are, they are banking on the fact that like chimney rock state park is going to blow your mind (laughs) and that like you care enough about, like you said, your anticipation and expectation of what the final showdown will be. But so much of it is just based on us trusting these characters, trusting their bodies and then realizing that like sometimes that fails you like mm. i think about like i don't know man i think about like magua's like beckoning to alice and just time. like that moment that almost feels it's the first time for me that i almost feel fear from him and this idea of like he's trying to protect somebody and i understand that at that point like alice is his property and so like there is something different happening there that perhaps is not based in love. Like, why would he love her? Like, she is essentially a prize. But I think about the look on his face where he too is shocked by the possibility of what she might do. And then how easily he puts it out of his mind when he turns and begins to walk away. Like, there's a lot of, like, really nuanced, unexpected emotion happening like on everybody's behalf <laughs> in that scene <laughs> i i look i look at him and i want to talk about west studio all the time because he's right. just so incre- incredible in this but the one thing that i think of is magua has had this line that's been running through the movie of like i'm gonna eat the gray hair's heart and then mm-hmm. it's done and mm-hmm. i think in that moment and this is the 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 turmoil the whatever turbulent emotions, whatever things that are running through his eyes, why that scene is so loaded is because he does, he glimpses the hand that he's beckoning her with and it has blood on it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. I forgot about that. And, and I look at it. So again, someone who's maybe watched this last 12 minutes a few times. I'm just saying, like, I, it's, I, it's just been like twice, right? Like twice. only like two times. Yeah. But maybe yeah. two, three times. Mm-hmm. But he, when he looks at her and I just we triggered it from what you said is like, when he looks at her, that genuine belief that uh, the gray hair is dead. I'm, yeah. I, I'm fulfilling my destiny now. Like I should, mm-hmm. I want to go off and live in peace. I want to go off and negotiate with the French. I want to, you know, be a political leader. I've been a war, I've been a warrior. Um, and I want to go off and like be a leader in my tribe. And when he's cast out, he's not being embraced for this whole like philosophy, this manifest, you know, this personal manifest destiny. He's like, no, you've done it all wrong. You've created a whole bunch of enemies. You're doing what they do, even though he's totally right. And so in that moment, he has to go like, is everything that I've worked for and, and sacrificed for and like played double agent for in this moment going to manifest and I'm going to get this daughter and then I'm going to move on with my life? Or am I still going to be the guy? And so immediate, as you said, that switch, like the, to me, that's like a, that, that rings, like it just sings because it's like, oh my God, like even him in that moment, he's like, I think I'm going to manifest this destiny. And like with everyone in this movie, it's like everyone gets so close, but then has to have this incredibly tragic compromise to whatever their destiny is. Um, and obviously mm-hmm. Margot like pays with his life, but like he's, he's home free. He's with a war party. He's in peace. Like he's got a good relationship with the French who may have 
at that stage had a pretty good chance against the English. So he's like, right. You know, he's yeah. like, I, I've, I've put us in a good position. We can negotiate here. I've done this. And, and, you know, fate wouldn't have it, wouldn't have it work mm-hmm. out that way. And so I think about that so much of like, just how profound it is beckoning to her with blood on his hands. And that almost tells you in that moment, like she's never going to come to you. She's never yeah. going to, she was never going to do it in the first place. Mm-mm. No, she was going to find a way out regardless yeah. of what that way out whatever, was. I mean, she, like. yeah. And you get the idea that Alice and Cora are very much not the same. Yes. And that maybe whatever Cora could weather, Alice could not. Yeah. But I also think, like you said, to that point of everybody gets very close to what they want. I also think somebody like Alice is very much like a victim of the circumstances of that time. Like yes. she doesn't have options, you know? Like And what and what has she been I think a few people have said like, oh, you know, the the women characters, you know, some some of the women characters, they don't, you know, they just get dragged around. I'm like, yeah, she was a she was like a a girl who was in London. Right. Yeah. Pampered, waiting to yeah. be married off. And you threw right. her into the fucking jungle? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like in Virginia. It's like you threw her how into did this. We, how did we expect her to react? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that amazing scene, that waterfall scene is so powerful because it shows the uh, contrast between Cora and Alice in that Cora mm-hmm. is this stoic force. She's so upright and strong and powerful and rigid in that moment. And she can weather the storm. And Alice is like, you feel like she's, you know, she's, she's a, she's waif. She's just going to fall down. And, Mm -hmm. but then by the time she gets to this moment, as you said, like she gets so close to like inhabiting that sort of strength and poise of Cora and her choice is, Oh, now that I'm this strong and I've got the agency to do what I'm going to do, I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. It's done. I'm not going to live as his prize. I'm out. Mm -hmm. And at that stage, you know, at that stage, her thought is, well, there's no way that I can be saved. Yeah. There's no way that I can be saved. So it's done. And also, and this might be like, I don't know, maybe too much feeding into a certain idea of love or whatever, but like, would she want to live without him? No. You know, like, I also think that that is something that this film does is the idea of like, do you want to go on without the person that you now have found to be your person. And I'm not trying to make an argument one way or another about like the moral validity of that in the real world, but you understand why she backs over the edge. Like I do think there is obviously a part, like you said, where she doesn't think she's going to be saved. And I also think she sees his body down there Mm. and finds a way to get down there too. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of people like to like, try and over-examine it. And it's like, hey, you know Shakespeare? <laughs> you know that Romeo right. and Juliet? You like heard I, of that guy? <laughs> yeah, like right. I can't live without you, so I'll poison myself and I'd rather be dead right. than be without you. And you know right. how like with that's like the most infamous romantic text in the English language and maybe all language? Yeah, like right. it's it's fine to use that trope now and then if it makes sense for, you know, an incredibly romantic and melodramatic, but also like very sort of authentic retelling of, of kind of like a war movie but uh, yeah i just I, I look at this scene i look at how it i just don't know if if that same amplification happens if it doesn't have every single element going for it like um to recap if folks haven't listened please go back and listen to the dante spinotti chat that i have with dante because they talk about where's studio the badass that he is had injured his knee the filming had stopped formal production for two weeks and Dante Spinotti and a couple of the, the second unit crews and man like stayed on just basically doing like second unit stuff up and down those mountains to basically get the coverage they needed to, to chop this scene together. But it was always, it was always designed to be this epic, insanely huge crescendo up sprinting up a mountain. And so, you know, I, I, I just think also, I don't know if it's just because movies don't make enough money to do this anymore or people aren't willing to invest it or people are, but I just like, there is something so incredible about the commitment to, we, we want to do this. We want to do it live action. We want to do stunts. We want to do this. And it's like, you can't, nothing has aged a day in no. this. And that's, that's, I think, you know, it, that's what gets me every time is that nothing has aged a day. It still looks amazing and it still looks perfect. And that commitment is like, if you want the timelessness factor, 
this is what's going to make it. It's not going to be the, you know, the, the quick and, you know, cheap and nastier um, uh, CGI effect. Uh, it's going to be this, this moment mm-hmm. shot on film. It's going to look perfect forever. And I think too, like you said, like, because obviously they were there, there's so much tangible texture to everything. Like everything has the right weight, if yes. that makes sense. Yes. But like a lot of times when you see, like sometimes in a heavily CGI movie, the reality is like you are acting against an empty empty soundstage and then your obviously reality is built around you. Whereas I think in something like Last Mohicans, and I also think in something like Jurassic Park, like yeah. a lot of those early 90s movies that were still doing like a mix of real locations and some soundstage stuff and some CGI there's, there's, stuff. There's a great shot of just the Tyrannosaurus Rex's legs next to the mm-hmm. Jurassic yeah. Park car and they are a tangible mm-hmm. thing in it. And that big animatronic leg pushes on the mud next to the car and you can see the water displaced and you see yep. the car moving. You're like, that looks so fucking cool. Like to this yeah. day, it looks so fucking cool. Right. And that's DDL, like you said, that's DDL running up the mountain. Yeah, that's like the actual like oh real ferns and real trees <laughs> and real mountain, <laughs> but like that you know it feels very real. It feels yes. like he couldn't make it. It feels like he could miss them. You know, all of that stuff feels very possible. It feels like Magua could win. You know, so all of that like, and I think also because you do have two very tragic deaths in those final 12 minutes it does make that finale that final shot of them in profile surveying this land that is rapidly changing it it does add extra dimensionality to that Mm. i mean there is something it is called last of the mohicans like there is inherently (laughs) you know like you said there is inherently something very melancholy about this yes and the idea that like yes hawkeye and cora can go and start a life together but it's a life without the two other people they loved most in this world you know and there is something very i don't know i'm getting i'm getting a little i'm getting emotional but i'm gonna um, gonna, 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 gonna back you i'm gonna back you out of emotion and put a massive hypothetical So just recently, and I didn't know this, it was a recent interview with Francis Ford Coppola revisiting and talking about another great 1992 film, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Francis, You know I love this movie. I know you do. I know you do. Okay. Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola had wanted to cast Daniel Day-Lewis as Dracula and couldn't get him because he had already signed on for Mohicans and, and Daniel Mother Day-Lewis. And, <laughs> and I heard about this for the fucker. first time and I went, wow, that's obviously a testament to man and, and, and him and DDL. Like when you look at DDL's career, it is choices yeah. to work with roles that are really immersive. And he legitimately wanted to do Dracula. It just so happened that both of these movies are shooting over the same time. And they just couldn't make it happen. And so in an alternative universe, there is an Age of Innocence Dracula double feature where both Winona Ryder and Daniel Day-Lewis are playing alongside each other into wholly different fucking movies. But he is Dracula. I don't even know. But you know what the problem is, though, with something like that is, okay, so yes, it's like an insane hypothetical. (laughs) But, but, But does the hypothetical also include them, him not being Hawkeye? Or is the hypothetical only him being both Hawkeye and Dracula? The hypothetical. So I'll give you two. If okay. if it was ever possible for it to happen, would you replace Gary Oldman with Daniel Day Lewis in that role? My answer is yes, hundred percent. Because yeah, I, think- I mean, I would replace Gary Oldman anytime with anyone. <laughs> because I hate Gary Oldman. <laughs> I I, yeah. I I used to be such a fan of Gary Oldman, and I but I'm but I'm now like really tired of what Gary Oldman is doing. So I'm yeah. I'm I I'm all about it just for the holy shitness of it because it is really daniel day lewis doing something so 1930s kind of Mm. like klaus kinski murnau ish then you know like that sort of deal rather than his traditional kind of immersive you know method extremity if you like but if i could have both i would but 
I have to always heart, my heart always says it has to be Mohicans for me. Like I don't want, yeah. I don't actually think Mohicans can work with any other actor playing Hawkeye. Do I think, do I think other actors could play Dracula? Yes. I could fantasy right. cast that. I could fantasy cast different Draculas in my mind. Yeah. And do I still like Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. is it, is it possibly actually the only Oldman role I like? Also, yes. And I think that, like, I think what just seems so appealing about that is, like, Oldman's Dracula has, like, an inherent, almost, like, silent movie overacting kookiness. Yes. That I I can't even imagine DDL doing. I can't. No. It would have been so... Maybe it would have been a so hundred times scarier. <laughs> yeah. And also, who are we sexier. to say that DDL? hundred times sexier. Who are we to say that DDL would not go very method in his Dracula? We don't know. We don't, we don't know. know that. We don't know. But yeah, I do, but you know what, though? But here's the thing, is that I think that Oldman's performance then allows some of the Moody's, movies, like, stickier other elements to, like, build a sense of absurdity and yes i'm talking specifically about keanu no, no. who like is not very good but like i love him deeply you know but like he doesn't distract me anymore maybe it's me being older but it's like the rest of the movie works so hard like is doing yeah. so well that like yeah. little blemishes like that it's like look it's not a great before it's much the same and maybe it's just because genuinely the quality of some of these movies in so many respects are so good and then there's this one actor or performance like meh that's fine. I'm okay with that. Right. But uh, yeah, I, it's it's really insane. I heard that the other day and it's like Dracula or Mohicans. And for me and this podcast, it's always going to be Mohicans. But it's yeah. just such a Francis Ford Coppola working with Daniel Day-Lewis. Doesn't that FFC with DDL? Like, doesn't that sound fun? I do, yeah. I mean, I want it. Like, can we just like go back in time and have like <laughs> one day of footage? <laughs> can we have it? Like, does someone have a fucking test, like like a right. test, a screen test? Yeah. Okay, oh, I'm sh- I'm sure that Coppola has okay. it. Okay, right? Can we get that? We are going. That's the call. That's this call to action at the end of this can show. Can we do that? Are you gonna call Bilg and be like, "Hey man, <laughs> can you call Francis?" Bilga, Bilga, Bilga. A, he, you're looking, you're looking, up. you're looking like a young Francis Ford Coppola right now, like. He's right. grown into his Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Let's go. Like, let's, yeah. like, let's go. Let's find the screen test. I mean, yes. imagine if there one. Is there one that exists? I can't. I mean, okay, but here's the thing. We would actually, the, the existence of this tape would actually kill Brianna Ashby. Like, she would die. <laughs> I don't want to kill our friend. I'm sure her art is right behind me in the frame of this picture. She, she might would die. die. Yeah. She would die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Ripriana. We so protect- if Bill. <laughs> we have to protect okay. our friend. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think Brianna, knowing Brianna, I think Brianna would say it's a good death. Like she, she'd be, she'd be like, yeah, I'll take she it. Yeah, she would. She'd be like, yeah, she'd take it. She'd be like, Alice. She'd be like, okay. I yeah. saw the footage. She'd be like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've done all I need to do. <laughs> I will, my children, I will entrust with someone I love and we're done. That's it. Yeah, that's but it. real talk, can we commission her to do DDL? Yes. As Dracula. hundred percent. we for, should do. For, for both of us. DDL yeah. as Dracula. Done. After that's this what show, that's do. what's happening. That's what's happening. That, that, there we go. <laughs> that's it. That's that's a special for Roxana and Blake and and yeah. and, and B might uh, miss the, the beautiful Miss Ashby might sell it uh, for other people to consume. But I just thought of that hypothetical, and it's like you hear about hypotheticals and other actors. And what I love about Michael Mann is that for the most part, he's insanely convincing to his actors uh, mm-hmm. and he's writing a lot of the time and thinking about performers so much. And, you know, for example, you know, cause it was recently in news because of the beautiful and legendary Chris Plummer recently passed away. Um, yeah. The uh, rest in peace to him, the legend, but like when he's writing the insider, he knows that Al is Wal Bergman. Like he's talking mm-hmm. while he's like, 
Lol Bergman is got to be Pacino. That's what it is. And then Russell Crowe is the one that's out of left field. And he like is saying, I want you to be in this movie. I can see in your eyes, you're this guy. Like, and like, you know, Russell Crowe famously is like, I want to go to war with, you know, after the Michael Mann talk, it's like, I'd go to war with him. Like he could lead mm-hmm. me to battle. I'm ready. And so, you know, I think that when he was designing this movie in his mind, there is only one guy that can do this. And, yeah. and so I think it's so impossible. Um, and I, I think Francis has done that a couple of times. It's like what that's the biggest tragedy about like, excuse me, Godfather part three. It's not Sophia's performance. So everyone shut up because just give her a break. It is that Duval wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Diff- oh, it's a totally different movie. It's a different movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and he said that he said that numerous times that he regrets that like it couldn't happen. And I just think you needed that because you needed another reminder of what had been. Yes. Like you had Connie and Connie's great. Like Talia Shire's great. Like, uh, but you needed <laughs> another person yes. to be that reminder of like, who were the Corleones and who are they now trying to be? Yeah. And, that and one always bums me out. That's, that's the bummer. And it's also, you know, the, I think you put it as like, when you look, the the best thing about Connie is the mileage. You can see mm-hmm. the mileage, but she's always been at a remove to watch what mm-hmm. it would have done to Tom, whether Tom mm-hmm. is now abandoning them or whether Tom's still in the trenches. It's like mm-hmm. he's had to see that life up close and personal all the way from Vito through Michael, like for like decades. And, you know, that yeah. that's a different thing. But, you know, just back to how we were talking about it in reference to this specifically, it's like I think that with Coppola, the magic of him is that, especially at that sort of, you know, even still around this time in his career is that he was drawing big people and he could still get great performances about out of almost anyone. And he doesn't feel like he was necessarily laser focused on in on a specific individual to only do that thing. Like he seemed to be able to pull a, a whole cohort of great people around. So like Dracula feels to me like it could have been done with multiple people, but man, mm-hmm. I, I just, I literally can't imagine I, can you imagine anyone delivering those lines? Can you believe anyone no. before they jump out of a waterfall? No, of course not. And I think you needed somebody like DDL too, who I could be wrong, but at least in my mind, I don't consider him being like, have like being somebody like Pacino or being like another actor who you already have a sense of what he's going to do. Mm. Like DDL has always seemed very unpredictable to me. Yes. Um, And so like, I love that about his Hawkeye, like you said, that he is able to make these huge swings of emotion from like, obviously being like an ass kicking warrior to then being this guy who, like you said, has the balls to be like, yeah, I'm looking at you to then these like (laughs) grand declarations of love, you know, like, I think it takes somebody very tuned in Mm. to balance all that. And I think DDL has always sort of played on that register of somebody who can be very threatening and also very vulnerable at the same time. Yeah. It's a, it's a real person quality that I think a lot of, a lot of action guys now and kind of post Indiana Jones were like, I want to be Indiana Jones, but I want to have like more of a six pack. And you're like, listen, the great thing about Harrison Ford is that he's believable as a swashbuckling adventurer. Mm-hmm. He's a man. He's mm-hmm. a guy. It's it's all believable. And I think that that's what's great about Daniel Day-Lewis is like you can totally see a way where someone's like they go and, you know, obviously he trained to do a lot of this, you know, outdoorsman stuff, but he's done, he doesn't look like a guy who's worked in a gym for six months. You know, right. he, he looks like a guy who's lean. He looks like right. a greyhound. He's out there. He's capable. But that's a guy who lives on the land. Like it just feels right. And so I think also part of him being a bit of being a, you know, slightly beefcake-ish in this movie is great because exactly as you said, he's unexpected. You don't expect mm-hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis to be the swashbuckling beefcake in an action movie, but he just totally nails it across the board. And I think that that's just, you know, that that's the, uh, another massive selling point of this movie and, and why he only works. And also, do you believe that any other actor leading actor would just give the crescendo of his movie to to other people other people it's like Mm -hmm. that whole famous story about will smith originally being cast as django and being like no i need to kill calvin candy Mm -hmm. and it's like no we don't want you to do that that's 
Yeah. Like I love Will. Like, you know. We love Will. We love Will. We love Will. We love Will. Will also, Michael Mann. Like, you know, we uh, best, love Will. He's absolutely outlandishly best performance of his yeah. entire career and completely love underrated. Will. Right. But it's like, no, of course he's not handing no. over the most memorable scene in his movie <laughs> to somebody else. Like, of course not. But I think that, like, again, I think that DDL has such a force in other ways that I think that that choice didn't seem so strange. No. And I think that, like, even looking at, like, the rest of DDL's career, like, very much, yes, he is the star of There Will Be Blood and everybody always quotes like, you know, I drink your milkshake, all that stuff. Yeah, but that's very much a two-hander with Paul Dano. You know, like it it could not work. And his son. Right. It could not work if those two actors were not given the same amount of respect and screen time. And again... And Vicky Crea. Vicky. Yeah, in Phantom Thread. Yeah. Phantom Thread. Yeah, so I think he's always done that. And I think also something to keep in mind, too, is like, who are we assuming is the last of the Mohicans? Yeah. You know, like, if you're assuming that it's DDL, but it's like, it's not, though, right? It's not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, it's his adoptive father figure. And that, I think, is the point that the movie is making in those final moments, like you said, by making him the guy that takes down Magua. Like, he has to defend the loss of his son because now it's just him. Like, yeah. that's it. And I think that that is something, too, where it's like, you think this movie is going to be about DDL, and it is, and he's exceptional in it, like, bleh. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> but there's something else in those final moments that almost, like, transcend DDL. They exist outside of his performance. It's something larger about, like, what America was and what we lost when it became what it is so i don't know man i mean i think when we're done with this i'll probably just put it on (laughs) i was gonna say that is the perfect way to finish we we know that now the call outs are find us the screen test of ddl as dracula number one numero Mm -hmm. number two -hmm. let's make brianna ashby aware that this was a possibility just to give Mm -hmm. her fair warning number Mm -hmm. three you and i are let her know let her know. Julie commissioning a DDL as Dracula piece. Mm-hmm, and number mm-hmm. four, everyone watch this fucking movie immediately. Yeah, like right now. Yeah. Like you could stop talking. Like just <laughs> we'll shut up. Just go, go. <laughs> <laughs>